Hey everybody, welcome back to the Impossible Podcast. Today I'm speaking with Rob Jones, who's a former Marine who on his second deployment got hit by an ID, had a double amputation, and has come back to sense bike across America, win a bronze medal at the Paralympics, and run 31 marathons in 31 days. He's an inspiring guy. He's an incredible athlete, and you're going to get a lot out of this one. He has some really insightful things to talk about mission, about pushing through when times get hard, and how to do some of these impossible challenges that he faced up to, went after, and got done. It's going to be a good one. Before we get started, I want to remind you guys that we're sitting about a 4.8 out of 5 stars on iTunes, and we're also featured on their homepage. So if you haven't already, now is a great time to head on over to iTunes, leave a review if you're enjoying the show, and remind people to push their limits and do something impossible. Also, while we're on the subject, we have a 30-day cold shower therapy challenge. If you're interested in learning to get comfortable while being uncomfortable, a 30-day cold shower therapy challenge is the way to do it. It starts on Monday the 8th, and we'll be doing it 30 days in the dead of winter. It's pretty cold in every part of the country, so there will be no excuses. And if you're interested in changing your mindset, learning to actually get comfortable while being uncomfortable, check out the Cold Shower Therapy Challenge. There's apps on iTunes and Google Play, and you can find out more by subscribing to ImpossibleHQ.com. If you haven't picked up your Impossible Gear yet, go on over to ImpossibleGear.com, pick up your Impossible shirt, your Impossible hoodie, and after this interview, when you're inspired to go push your limits and do something impossible, throw your hoodie on, throw your t-shirt on, and go push your limits. All right, that's it for right now. Let's get into my interview with Rob Jones. All right, and we're live. Today I've got Rob Jones, a man of many talents. Uh, Rob, thank you for being here today. Thanks for the opportunity, man. It's good to to see you. You were uh, with me in San Diego. Yeah, so uh, you've done you've done quite a few things. Um, you've deployed to the Marines. Uh, you faced down an IED. You've got a bronze medal uh, in the Paralympics. You've rode your bike bike across America and you've done 31 marathons in 31 days, which is where I recently came across you. Um, that's a lot of things to go through. I don't know exactly where to start. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I ran across your stuff when uh, I was hearing about the month of marathons and you came through San Diego and, uh, I was like, Oh, this guy's, (laughs) I just got done running a bunch of stuff. I want to go see this guy doing this. And I showed up, I think just as you finished and you're about to bounce to the next state and just doing 31 of those back to back, but, um, that was really impressive. And I was like, I have to go, I have to, I have to get on the phone with this guy and, and talk to him about what he's up to. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate you, uh, coming out and showing me some support in San Diego. I had a big group that day. Well, you had big groups all over the place. That was the crazy thing was you had, um, you had, it was what 30 in the States and then you had one in England. Um, was that right? Well, uh, technically one in England, one in Canada and 20 okay. in America. And you had, you had people at almost every race running with you. Um, no, I had people at every single one. Um, okay. most of the crowds were at least, you know, over the course of the day, at least, uh, 50 usually would come out. Um, but there were a few, yeah, you know, sometimes people have to work or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they can I'll just be running all day. Yeah. Um, but I, I want to get into your story a little bit and um, kind of dig into you know how you got started with all this and then also talk about uh, the different challenges that you faced personally, um, both uh, after after uh, um, um, after deploying, after facing on the ID and then getting right back into athletics and finding that as kind of an outlet for um, what you what you've done and so um do you mind uh i did a little bit of an intro already but i'd love for you to kind of share your story of um you know how you got started uh in the marines and then kind of we can go from there 
Yeah, I was a junior at Virginia Tech. Uh, just at a point in my life where things weren't really working out uh, how I envisioned. I was a computer science major, and I determined that I wasn't really cut out for computer science. And uh, so I was looking for uh, something that was missing in my life, and I read a book about the Marine Corps called Brotherhood of Heroes. And, yeah, it struck a chord, and so I decided to join. I went to the recruiter the next day, and I was probably signed up uh, within the week, I think. So right away. Yeah, pretty much right away. I did it, did it, uh, you know, right after I read that book. That's a, that's a good book done. They gotta, they gotta get that out there. Um, so, so you, um, I have from your bio that you, you graduated, uh, school in 2007. Uh, I think it was high school, right? And then 2008, you deployed. I graduated college in 2007. Okay. Um, I joined the reserve. So I, I was able to finish my last year at college before I uh, before I deployed. Okay. And so then you deployed a couple times. Is that right? Yeah, my first one was to Iraq in 2008, um, Habania, Iraq. Uh, mostly did – it was seven months mostly doing uh, cash sweeping, just uh, using a metal detector to try and find buried munitions. And then my second deployment was 2010 to Afghanistan and – we were uh, trying to find IEDs over there with metal detectors instead of the uh, buried munitions. Gotcha. And and what what drew you to the Marines specifically? Was it just the book, or was there something else uh, about um, you know the actual um, just the way the way everything is run in the Marines versus um, school and a traditional route of uh, of, of nine to five? Uh, it wasn't the book itself. It was the people that were in the book and the characteristics that were uh, on display in the book. So, uh, you know, courage, brotherhood, altruism, uh, selflessness, all those kinds of things were displayed uh, at the Battle of Peleliu, which is the battle that the book was about uh, by the Marines. And it's, I deter, you know, that was what I needed at the time. I've, I've you know, it struck a chord. And, um, and so, you know, it was those characteristics that drew me to the Marine Corps and primarily the brotherhood from it. The uh, it's it's interesting. One of the things we talk about is uh, like pushing yourself to uh, live a better story and doing the things that you don't think you can do. Um, was there any part of joining the Marines where you're like, you know, this is going to be like really, really tough? Was it was it I've talked to. Uh, kind of two sets of people who joined the military. One was like, okay, it was really tough and um, it kind of shaped and molded them over time um, into becoming that type of person they wanted to be. And the other type is sort of uh, the Jocko type that was born, (laughs) you know, born and and two years, two years old, they want to uh, just jump in and play commando and uh, just, it comes really easy. Um, Where was which one of those did you fall into? Do you think? Um, I was molded, I think, but uh, yeah, I was molded by boot camp and everything. But you know, I obviously had to have that drive to begin with. And the reason I joined the Marine Corps, well, part of the reason I joined the Marine Corps was because it was going to be tough. So, uh, you know, I was looking for that kind of a thing, and then because I was open to it, um, I think it, you know, I just they were more successful at molding me into a Marine than if I. Had, you know, wasn't all that interested. Yeah. The, uh, there's something about those hard things that shape and mold and, and transform people. And it's, it's interesting to see, uh, it, it seems, it seems like I've had a, a, a bunch of different military guys on the podcast recently. I had Akshay Nanavati, I think who, uh, featured you in his book or his trailer about his book, um, on a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and it seems there's something about specifically military that, uh, it's this, really uh i mean it's it's sports played to a hundred playing to like um it's all the characteristics that you learn um through athletics but in real life with life or death consequences and they really force you to um build the characteristics that a lot of times i think everybody wants to have or they'd wish they had um but they're not willing to go through some of the um, 
the hellish challenges and circumstances that forge those characteristics. And the things that are interesting uh, about those characters in the book um, don't come from living a normal life. You have to get out into the battlefield to experience those and to have those kind of molded into you. Yeah, I mean, if you want to chisel uh, chisel a statue, you got to hit it with a chisel and uh, pound the rock with it. So uh, it's not going to be – it's not an easy – it takes a lot of force and it takes a lot of uh, adversity in order to become a lot stronger. But you know, I would say the people that say they want to do it but aren't willing to go through what it takes to, to get it, uh, they don't truly want it. So uh, I think they really need to reevaluate what they actually want in life. And that, that I hundred percent agree on that. And it's, it's kind of harsh. Sometimes people don't really like the, nobody likes to like take that message. But when you, when you lay it out like that, you're like, this is the price of it. This is what you have to get, you know, pay up in order to go forge those characteristics or uh, to become that type of person, uh, either put up or shut up. A lot of people will walk away. And, um, that's a message that I don't think a lot of people are, um, they don't necessarily get, and um, a lot of people um, need to hear it. And I think there's a, a segment of people that are starving for uh, hard challenges that are worthwhile and pay off for something awesome. Well, I'm not criticizing the person that doesn't want it, uh, you know, to each their own. But uh, to say, I wish I could, I wish I could play a harmonica, and then yeah. never actually buy a harmonica or even take a lesson. You know, do you really wish that you could play harmonica or do you just wish, you know, what do you, what do you actually wish for? Yep. So, you know, and I'm not criticizing you for wanting what you want or not wanting what you don't want, but you know, just be honest with yourself. Yeah. And getting clarity on, on what that is and and what you are willing to go after. Um, so, so something happened on the second deployment and, um, kind of, you know, life changing. Um, can you kind of share with us, uh, what, what happened? Yeah, like I said, my job was to find IEDs uh, in Afghanistan, and uh, the way it would work would be we'd patrol up to a, a place where there was a high likelihood of having an IED, uh, namely a bridge or something like that, some kind of terrain feature that required us to go across uh, a narrow area. Um, so there'd be a high likelihood there would be an IED in there. So what we would do is I would cross first with my metal detector and make sure it was clear, and then everybody else would follow my path that I laid out. And on July 22nd, 2010, I was in the process of uh, going through that and making sure there was a clear route through this danger area. And I missed the IED and it it hit me before I found it. And that resulted in double above knee amputations. So what's that that like after spending two years in the Marines and you said you were in the reserves before that you've kind of got, you're, you're working towards this brotherhood that you're, you're a part of. Um, and then this goes, uh, what was, what was it like the couple days after? I mean, I don't even know, uh, if you remember parts of that, but what was it like, uh, in the immediate aftermath of that? Uh, I was unconscious for maybe 20 seconds, and I remember the rest of the day, or not the day, but <clears throat> then maybe then until they put me in the tank to take me to the Kazivac helicopter. <clears throat> um, and then after that, I was unconscious for about five days, and then I spent a week in the intensive care unit, kind of high on morphine, uh, going in for surgeries. So you know, the first 12 days, I don't really have a whole lot of vivid memories, um, but then when my senses did start to come back, uh, you know, I realized that my life's mission remained unchanged, even though I was a double amputee. Uh, you know, I still wanted to have a life that I could be proud of, a life that made a difference and one that I could enjoy. And I still wanted to spend time with my friends and my family. And so all that really changed was how I was going to do that now. So, you know, I was doing it with the Marine Corps before and I just needed to figure out what my new path is going to be to contributing to society. Uh, so first step of that was to, you know, learn how to walk again and heal up. Yeah. So how do you, how do you even start that process? What does that even look like as far as, um, the, the one thing as I, as I've gone through, you know, some of your, your videos and the interviews you've done in the past is it seemed like you got 
back on the horse pretty quickly. Like you just, <laughs> you didn't spend a lot of time feeling sorry for yourself. And that sounds almost crazy, but it seemed like you, you just applied yourself to the task at hand. But even, even something as simple as, is walking again, how do you, what's the, what's that training process look like? Uh, yeah, you know, I have a knack for just kind of accepting the situation and doing what I think needs to be done. And, you know, I, uh, you only have a certain amount of energy you can expend during the course of a day. So if you spend 10% of that energy on feeling sorry for yourself or wishing something that happened, you know, didn't happen, uh, then you're only going to have 90% of your energy to put towards something that you actually can have an effect on. And so, uh, you know, it kind of makes sense just to skip all that stuff and (laughs) energy on, on what you need to do. And so, uh, you know, the first month was, literally just waiting for my body to heal and just not a whole lot I could do besides eat and, uh, you know, just get enough rest. And, you know, there was a little bit of physical therapy, you know, just kind of getting used to moving my, my legs around or my residual limbs around learning how to get into the wheelchair, uh, you know, just moving around a little bit. Um, but it wasn't, you know, a whole lot of, uh, technical stuff that i had to learn it was it was taxing it was it you know i could barely lift my stumps at first mm-hmm. um but yeah it was pretty much just waiting waiting for my body to heal is really the, what the what the first month was all about okay and then what were the what were the following months after that like yeah after after that is where the uh tricky stuff for the you know the skill learning happened and so i spent the next year uh, about a year and a half uh learning how to use the prosthetic. So they, you know, they give you the leg sockets and you start as a double uh, above knee amputee, you start short on little uh, midget legs and you basically just learn, get used to how the sockets feel and how your body moves around again and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, get your center of gravity, get figure out your balance and how to move with prosthetics. And then as you get better, you get a little taller and taller um, and then eventually they'll give you the, uh, the bionic knee, which is the most, uh, advanced recreation of the human knee that is available. And it has all sorts of weight distribution sensors and algorithms that recreate the way that the human knee works. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's quite sophisticated, but at the same time, there's a lot more chance to, to fall down and it takes a little bit more, uh, skill to learn. And so then you work on learning that. And, you know, when I got good with that, I started to move on to other stuff like uh, learning how to ride a bike, learning how to run again. Uh, I got into, you know, rowing and then, you know, just going up and down stairs, you know, kind of learning the advanced stuff. Yeah. What's the what's the toughest part about relearning all that? Is is there a specific area that's uh, uh, you found to be the most challenging? I think if I could go back and do anything else, I would have gotten rid of my wheelchair a little bit earlier. Uh, I think what happens is you kind of become dependent and comfortable in the wheelchair uh, or with whatever stage you're in. And to go to that next stage uh, takes a little bit of a, a push because, you know, it can be a little, it can be embarrassing to, it's, well, it's it's embarrassing for anybody to to learn something new and not look not be good at it, and so you kind of look stupid when you fall down and and when you're not good at it. And so, if I could go back, I would I would have uh, gotten rid of my wheelchair sooner, um, and I think I would have uh, progressed a lot faster because I was relying on the wheelchair and I needed what I needed to do was you know force myself to. Uh, you know, rise to the occasion and just get rid of that wheelchair. Uh, and then, yeah, and then, that, and then, you know, just like I said, each stage you you tend to feel a little bit embarrassed because you're a new guy again. You're like starting over, <laughs> and you know, you fall down and everybody, you know, forks drop, and everybody looks at you for a second, and then you get back up. And you, so it's a little bit embarrassing, but you know, everybody goes through that over the course of their recovery. Yeah. Do you, do you end up getting good at like doing the recoveries out of the falls or is it just like, like, you know, when you're skiing, the first thing you have to do is learn to fall well. Um, is, is that, that was that kind of a thing that you kind of picked up on after a while? You kind of just, okay, I rolled with it. And then, you know, pretty soon you're, 
you're running and biking and rowing all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, that's one That's one of the first things you do learn actually, because if there's any guarantee, it's that you're going to fall down at some point. So uh, we do, we did spend a, a good amount of time on techniques for standing up uh, after a fall with the knees, with the, with the short legs and everything. And uh, you know, you get good at that. Uh, pretty early on so that when you do do the advanced stuff you don't have you know or if you're out and about you know and uh you fall down in public or something you can get back up without anybody I, to help you yeah i like how the two things that you mentioned uh, about that were um one you would take away like the dependency like earlier on like anytime you're learning a new skill like take away the dependency that you know might feel comfortable but it also might be holding you back and then to also be prepared to fall all the time just in case and, and figure out how to put yourself back up because uh those two things are going to happen <laughs> regardless so yeah um, well, you know yeah you uh you have to get rid of the safety net eventually uh otherwise you're not really you're not really going to achieve what you your your maximum potential if you if you're always there with the safety net um yeah, and so you got to get rid of it. Cool. So, so that's middle of 2010 was uh, the ID. Um, 2011, you're honor- honorably discharged, and then you immediately decide to uh, jump into rowing. Yeah, um, I decided started. I wouldn't say full time training for rowing, but I was training maybe five times a week. Uh, I convinced the, the therapist in the clinic to let me bring a, a, a rowing machine, a concept two into the clinic cause they didn't have one. And I needed to start mm-hmm. practicing my rowing cause I, I wanted to try and make the Paralympics. Um, and then near the end of my recovery, you know, I met my uh, rowing partner and we we decided together, you know, we sat down and said, well, do you want to try and make the Paralympics or not? And she said, yes. And I said, yes. So when I, uh, actually before I was officially, uh, retired, uh, I went on terminal leave and then I drove down to, to Florida and started training right away twice a day, you know, six days a week. So what was it about, uh, rowing specifically that you, you jumped into, uh, so quickly with it, was it, did you have any previous experience or was it just something that you're like, okay, I'm going to do what I can with what I've got? Yeah. Well, yeah, pretty much that, you know, I did, I didn't have any on the water experience. The only experience I had was I remembered before when I was able-bodied that, you know, workouts on the rowing machine were always really tough. And, you know, it just so happened that rowing was in the Paralympics. And it also just so happened that there was a place where I could learn how to row uh, near the hospital. And then it also happened that, uh, there was a partner uh, for me, uh, that was a female and was, you know, skilled and in good shape. So all these things kind of fell together. If I, you know, if I looked at rowing and there wasn't a place for me to learn how to row near in DC, then I, you know, I probably wouldn't have done it cause I wouldn't have, you know, I had to be in the hospital and mm-hmm. so I might've tried something else or I don't know what would have happened, but, uh, yeah. So, you know, a lot of things had to fall into place, uh, just in the right spot. Have you uh uh you're familiar with the the Jim Jones guys? Yeah, yeah, you know, so, you- uh Rob McDonald, um the former training director over there, uh he wrote my uh strength and conditioning program for my 2012 uh training. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, That's kind of yeah. cool. I was going to ask you if you if you've done their uh tailpipe workout. Um, I haven't <laughs> done it as a Disabled person, I did it as an able-bodied though, on my own. Okay, that thing sucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah any anything. The, I mean, the rowing machine's tough, but it's only as tough as you make it. So you know that can be tough, or just sprinting can be tough. You know, walking can be tough as long as you do it right. Yeah. So you uh, you 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 get discharged from the Marines, then you drive down to Florida. And you're just going full tilt towards this Paralympics goal. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, full dedication to it. Um, that's what it requires. If you want to be the, you know, if you want to have a chance at winning gold at the, on the world stage, uh, you have to fully dedicate yourself. So I, you know, I knew I needed to go to a place where I could train every day uh, on the water. And so 
couldn't really do that in DC uh, reliably. And so we went down to somewhere where it was going to be warm and we'd be able to get out on the water just about every day. So, you know, you have to, if you want it, you got to, you make it and you manifest it. So, uh, you know, I wasn't in the right place for me to be able to train like I needed to be able to train. So I moved. It was just that important, huh? Exactly. Yeah. I lived in a hotel for five months down there in Florida and then, uh, moved up to, uh, Charlottesville actually, uh, Charlottesville, Virginia after that. And then spent the rest of the time, uh, between May and September training up there. I, I think that's something that some people don't always grasp is, um, actually moving your physical person to, uh, a lot of times people will talk about, Hey, I w I'm not able to do that because I'm not close to X, Y, Z, or I can't, you know, pursue whatever I want to go after because it's not, you know, there's nothing conveniently located to me. Yeah. <laughs> and I like, I like how you're just like, yeah, I I'm moving to Florida, like for five months living in a hotel. Uh, cause this is the thing that I'm going to prioritize, uh, the rest of my life around and, and go after it in a, in a way that, uh, you're aiming to succeed and not have a built in excuse to fall short. Well, it just boils down to that whole thing we were talking about earlier about whether or not you actually want it. So if you really, truly want something, like I wanted to be in the Paralympics and win uh, win in the Paralympics, then you're going to do whatever you need to. So if if you don't really want something, then you're going to let something like not being in the right location stop you. So it all just boils down to what's most important, where you live or what you want to accomplish. What uh? What was the what was the training regimen like? I you said Bobby wrote that out for you, and then uh, um, how did that all play out? So he wrote the strength and conditioning. Uh, so we were in the gym three times a week, and we decided. I went out to Jim Jones and talked to him. Uh, maybe a week before I went down to Florida, and you know he just did an assessment. Uh, met him and you know became friends and uh did an assessment on, you know, what movements can I do? Uh, what's going to be beneficial for the trunk and arms rowing? Um, and you know what I needed, we only had nine months, so we had to kind of, you know, focus on a couple things. And what we decided to do was, um, he decided that I could use a little bit of mass on my body. So most of the workouts that I did were uh, about mass gain in the gym. Uh, so a lot of 10 by 10, uh, pull up and bench press uh, back and forth. And then a lot of, uh, yeah, tons of, I mean, really a lot of tons of pull ups, uh, lots of pushing and pulling, and then lots of deadlifts. Um, but mostly just stuff that was designed to add some muscle onto my body. And then, you know, the, the other stuff, the cardiovascular and the power endurance that came from training on the water. And then obviously we had to spend a lot of time uh, learning the skill of rowing. And so you said you, you, you had nine months to train for it? Yeah. So, I mean, we got down to Florida essentially January of, uh, January of, uh, 2012 and the Paralympics were September 2nd, 2012. So, I mean, I guess eight months really. Uh, but you know, I, I had, I had been training for it before then, just not full time. So I probably yep. started, you know, doing a work, one workout a day, uh, probably in September of 2011, but you know, I wouldn't call that full-time training. I would call that just training. Okay. Preparatory training, I guess, but yes, <laughs> I wouldn't call that full training. And then, uh, you go out and do it, you go get the bronze medal and how, how were you happy with that? Were you aiming, what were you aiming for as far as, uh, it seems like you're aiming for gold. <laughs> you don't, you don't really do the, uh, playing to, uh, you know, uh, participation ribbon doesn't seem to be your thing. Yeah. We wanted to win, you know, I, I, that's, that was the whole, you know, the whole purpose is to, to win the, win the race. Um, obviously we didn't, uh, we got third and I was, uh, you know, I was sad. I was, I was proud of it, you know, cause we, you know, you take what, where we came from, you know, nine months of, or eight months, nine, nine or eight months of training and, you know, being a new double, a uh, new pair, of people, uh, you know, learning how, how each other works and stuff. And, uh, you know, based on the fact that I was pretty much a, a skeleton of myself two years earlier, 
Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so it's proud and we worked as hard as we possibly could. I can't imagine doing anything differently that year that could have got us any faster. Um, so, you know, I was proud of us, proud of our coaches, proud of the support network that we had. Uh, but, you know, just not satisfied because we didn't win and we set out to win, uh, you know, and this is how it is. But, you know, I'm not going to sit there and beat myself up over it or, you know, I'm not going to have the thousand yard stare over a beer, you know, <laughs> reliving that race for the rest of my life. Uh, you know, so I just have to be, I have to live with the fact that I wasn't fully, totally, totally satisfied. Uh, but, you know, proud of proud of our achievement. So, so the next year, I, I, I literally going through your bio on on your website, and it's like every single year since like 2010 or 2011, you've got like a new adventure or race you did. And so, in 2013, 2014, you said you you rode your bike across the U.S. What made you want to do? What was there any part of you that said, okay? you know, bronze is pretty good for, you know, training for nine months. If I sat down and, uh, you know, reloaded for a full year, I could, uh, you know, make another run at gold. Was that a consideration or were you just like, okay, I did that. That's in the rear view mirror. I want to do, uh, something new. Yeah, we did. Uh, we did try and do, we did world championships 2013. Um, uh, but you know, that season didn't go quite as well as the 2012 season. Uh, my partner spent a long time, uh, she, she switched over to skiing, uh, for the winter. And so, you know, that doesn't totally translate. Uh, it, it, it translate a little bit to rowing, but it doesn't fully translate. And so we didn't actually get back in the boat until, uh, maybe March of, uh, 2013. And so okay. you know, I had been training for rowing. She had been training for skiing. So, uh, you know, we, that season just didn't quite go as well as the the one before. And, you know, I have to take my own personal responsibility for that as well. You know, I should have insisted that she keep rowing. But you know, <laughs> I didn't do that. So that's on, you know, that's on me. That's extreme ownership. You know what I mean? There you go. So, Jocko, shout out. Jocko, uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we did that. And we played, we ended, we still placed fourth. Um, okay. You know, I really thought at the end of that season that we, based on where we had finished the year before, we should have, we probably should have won uh, that race and maybe even been close to breaking the world record or something. So, uh, but you know what? Yes, again, doesn't doesn't always work out like you want it to. Uh, but you got to be proud of what you did. There you go. So right after that, then you decided, okay, I I'm I'm over this boat. It just seems like you're you're moving through the different various forms of transportation over time. So you move from your boat, uh, and then you say, hey, I'm going to ride my bike across America. Yeah. So, um, did you, did you have to relearn how to ride a bike? I, I, had you relearn that specific skill at this point or were you just like, I'm going to go for it and figure it out as we go? Yeah. So I had relearned how to ride the bike uh, when I was at Walter Reed. Um, it kind of just started because I had heard that nobody had ever done it, um, as a double above the amputee that came through Walter Reed. So I figured I might as well try and be the first okay. uh, and then see if, you know, try and show people that it was possible. And that's what the bike ride was all about was putting that to use and, and trying to show, you know, what was possible for wounded veterans, uh, so that they could see it, uh, whether the injury is psychological or, or physical, you know, um, I'm out there and I had a traumatic experience and I was able to, you know, relearn or relearn how to ride a bike and figure out my way that I was going to continue to contribute to my country and to my fellow veterans. Um, and so, you know, that was just the way that I decided to get that message across. And I figured I'd ride my bike across the country in the winter, uh, diagonally across, and you just make it as hard as I could and just kind of blow uh, blow people's minds with, uh, you know, how difficult it was. And just, you know, add that insurmountable evidence to what I was proving. Yeah, so most people, when they do a bike ride, they do it over, uh, you know, May, June, July, or April, or, you know, summer months, you go from, I think was, what is it, October, basically through the winter? Yeah, October to April. So, uh, yeah, through the winter and a little bit of that spring uh, and fall time. But, you know, I wanted to do it. I didn't want to do it in the summer because the heat really affects me uh, badly. So okay. I figured I wanted to do it in the winter time. And, 
it wasn't too bad for them. The, there was the year of the polar vortex, so that was <laughs> and, um But you know, we did luck out as far as you know getting caught in places and with snow and everything and ice. So we only got caught a couple times for a, a few days. So uh, it kind of worked out pretty well, but it was very very cold. Did you have a, a time schedule for what you wanted to do it in, or do you just saying, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna." Because uh, biking roads in the winter is uh, way different, especially if you're you know starting up in Maine and yeah. uh, uh, coming down through. That's a whole different type of uh, challenge than you know riding perfectly paved and clean roads in in the middle of the summer. Yeah, I um, I kind of calculated that I was going to take about six months to do it beforehand, uh, okay. and. So I kind of had that in my mind, and it ended up being 181 days. So pretty much exactly what I predicted. And and you had a support vehicle the whole time. Yeah, my little brother drove a uh, <laughs> my little brother drove a U-Haul that we had kind of retrofitted with cots in the back of it. Um, yeah, and he just followed me along and kind of protected me from vehicles that were coming up behind me, and uh, you know, yeah, it's a support support truck. Uh, luckily, we didn't have to sleep in it too much because there were a lot of uh, generous hotels that would uh, that would put us up for the night. So we we didn't sleep in it all that much, maybe three weeks total. Do you have Do you have a part of the ride that stuck out to you as the most difficult or the most challenging throughout the whole thing? Um, yeah, it's hard to say. Um, any kind of mountain pass or any kind of mountain range that I had to cross. So I had to cross the Appalachian Mountains, Cumberland Mountains, uh, Ozark Mountains, Rocky Mountains. So all that stuff was yeah. the, the toughest part. Uh, yeah, so. I just asked because sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll talk to guests. And I know for me, it's sometimes when I do one of these races or whatever, it just, there's not in every race, but in a decent number of them, there's like a, specific point where it feels like the race is challenging you or the the event or whatever it is is like personally challenging you and like daring you to back down like as you're going up a mountain and all of a sudden a gust comes around and you're like i i could see how it could be very easy to give up right now mm. and and then you have to double down and remember why you're doing it and then keep going forward exactly i mean i couldn't say any better myself man that's cool so so you finished that bike ride and for, okay, before we keep going, because you, you've got a couple other things that you've done, and what's the what's the main drive? Why is why why put so much effort into all the athletics? Why where's the um, yeah where's the drive coming from? Uh, well, I guess the reason I picked sports was because that's just what I had a talent for, and I had I had an interest in it. Um, you know, like I said, I was uh, I was into Jim Jones, and uh, but when, you know when I was in the Marine Corps. And, and just from being in the Marine Corps, I learned that, you know, physical effort is, uh, is a great way to grow as a person and kind of learn about yourself. And so, you know, I kind of took to that and that was my skill set. And so, you know, it's what they, this, uh, that saying is, uh, do what you can with what you have, uh, where you are. And so I had these skills of just being able to endure crappy situations and so I, I applied that to trying to prove that, you know, wounded veterans aren't broken veterans and that they can still contribute to society. And uh, I did that by, you know, raising money for charities and spreading the, the word about veterans. And so that's how I that's how I chose to do it. There's plenty of different ways that you could do that. Um, but, you know, that was my skill set. So I, you know, I used the the almost impossible task of riding across the country of as a double above knee amputee on a regular bike uh, to do it. And then, you know, the marathon challenge as well. Yeah, I was, uh, I, li- I like the way you said the ability to endure and you listed that as like a talent mm-hmm. because, because uh, that's actually a talent. And a lot of times I'll tell people, I'm not really the fastest person in the world. I'm not the most, you know, skilled runner or anything like that, but I can suffer pretty well. Yeah. And <laughs> the ability to like, get beaten down by a race or get beaten down by like a certain situation and then take it and then keep going is something you can learn. And something that is, I, I think really undervalued as far as a, 
a skill set that you can actually build and uh, a type of resilience that over time you can uh, you can improve and, and and really add to any other skill that you have. Yeah, it's well, it kind of is a skill, I guess, but at the same time, it, it again, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where you know I cared so much about getting the word out about veterans and raising the money that I was I was able to endure. Uh, whatever I had to. So it's, I guess it's more about mission accomplishment uh, than anything else uh, for me. Uh, and then so because of, because of the, of the importance of the mission, the endurance kind of uh, goes hand in hand with that. But you definitely get good at being able to endure anything uh, through being in the Marine Corps and, and, you know, having that sense of mission accomplishment. Yeah. So, so with that mission, um, what is, so you just did another, you just did 31 marathons, uh, in 31 days and that was all for this mission. And this overall mission, we've kind of talked about it in glancing, but we haven't talked about it specifically. Do you want to share what your overall mission with all these different projects that you're doing is? Um, yeah, you know, it's just what I said before about, you know, proving that, uh, wounded veterans aren't broken. Uh, and I don't care if the injuries mental or physical, uh, you're still able to continue fighting. You still have that responsibility to keep fighting. Uh, so just got to remember that you're still a warrior and other veterans are depending on you. America is still depending on you. So you have to, uh, uh, fight on. So, you know, that's just what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to show that to veterans that may be struggling uh, and I'm trying to show it to civilians that may not know exactly what it's like to be a wounded veteran. And so, you know, so they have a better understanding of both sides of the coin, uh, in terms of, you know, veterans that come home. Yeah. Um, the, one of the, one of the things that, uh, you've, you've said before is that you're raising, you're trying to raise a million dollars, um, for the various veterans charities. So when they do come home, they have a, um, they have ways to get plugged in, ways to still feel, um, to see areas where they can contribute and uh, participate and live uh, a life they're proud of. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, veteran charities uh, are, play a big role in that. They provide opportunities. They provide uh, counseling. They provide training and uh, therapy. So, you know, part of that does come from, you know, part of that, all that does help people to find their new path uh, is, you know, having all these different, opportunities to explore different options and so that's what these people do and they help people when they're they may be in a you know precarious position financially or what what have you um and so it's important that they keep going uh for veterans uh it's important that they they're still they're still around for as long as we can manage yeah um what what do you think about your situation or what do you think you did differently um, or maybe your mindset or whatever it might be, uh, you know, you, you mentioned a lot of veterans do come back and they, they have this, you know, they, they're trying to figure out how to fit back in. They're trying to, how to fit, get back onto, um, you know, a normal, <laughs> normal life away from war. Um, how do you think, um, you know, what did you do differently to be able to kind of bounce back, you know, from a pretty, um, you know, pretty major injury and get back to doing, you know, all the stuff you're doing before and then, you know, way more. What was the, what was the difference? Do you think? Um, you know, I really couldn't tell you. I, uh, somehow I just have that knack for accepting my situation. And I think it's mostly just a, a combination of, uh, you know, what you're probably born with a certain amount of resiliency and, uh, ability to do that. And, that combined with the life experiences that you face, you know, that develop your your habits and your reactions to things. And so it just so happened that, you know, those two things combined for me led to, uh, you know, what I'm doing. And uh, I can't really say that I did anything. I didn't have a different method. Uh, I didn't have a different approach than anybody else, I don't think. Uh, it's just a matter of, you know, I was in a position where I could – you know, I had these things ingrained in me and I could see different opportunities for myself. Uh, 
that other people might find it a little bit trickier to uh, discover. And so, you know, I, I was able to find those things quickly, you know, probably as a matter of luck and partly, uh, you know, who I am and uh, what, you know, based on my experiences. Do you think uh, like throwing yourself into the rowing thing, like as soon as, you know, you, you physically could, um, was was a piece of kind of reclaiming that story of, hey, I can, you know, I can still compete at a pretty high level and still go do these things rather than if you just sat around doing like physical therapy, but, you know, watching TV and like, man, I wish I could do, you know, something else, but uh, kind of not waiting on anything and just jumping right into you know, the next thing right away? Yeah, I think it's definitely important to set uh, set goals for yourself pretty quickly. Uh, give yourself something to work work towards. Because, um, yeah, if you're not working towards something, then you're just kind of sitting there stagnating. Uh, and I don't care what the thing that you're working towards is. Uh, for me, it was just, you know, it was rowing and Paralympics. Uh, and you, it's somebody could be learning how to play guitar or whatever. But as long as you have to set some kind of goal for yourself in order to, to – prevent stagnation and so you know i did that i you know not really i'm articulating this after the fact you know i I did it um and you know it's also important to see what you're made of you know challenge yourself uh, and force yourself to rise to the occasion and and find out what you're made of because uh you know when you get injured so catastrophically it's you know you're not exactly sure what you can do and so the only way to find out what you can do is to test yourself. And so, you know, once you know, once you test yourself and you know exactly where you are, then you can figure out what you need to do in order to get where you want to go. No, I like that. Um, so, so after going back to like all, you know, all your different goals that you've got. So you finished this bike ride in 2014 and then you decide, Hey, you know, like, okay, I've, I did rowing, got rowing down. I got biking. Okay. Uh, I got biking down. Uh, I'm going to do triathlons next. And you spend the next couple of years going after and training triathlons pretty hard. Yeah. Um, I was trying to make the Paralympics for 2016 and a triathlon. Uh, you know, sadly, uh, spoiler alert, I didn't make it. And, uh, you know, I think I probably overestimated, you know, how <laughs> overestimated how much ground I could make up uh, just through, you know, working as hard as I could. I figured I could outwork everybody and, and catch up. But I was pretty disadvantaged uh, in the triathlon in the category that I was in. Uh, I was I had to race against a uh, single above knee amputees and I could never catch them on the bike enough. Um they would always just blow me out of the water on the bike and I would start to reel them in on the run. You know, I was the fastest runner, but I could never, I could never make up enough time on the run, uh, in order to, to be competitive. So I never was able to make it to the Paralympics and triathlon. Uh, but you know, I'm glad I went for it because I learned that I had a talent for running and, you know, I put that talent to use for my next, you know, for the marathon challenge. And, you know, I think, doing the marathon challenge was probably had a better effect or a, a bigger impact than me going to the Paralympics ever could have. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that. Cause that's how I got into marathons too. I tricked myself into liking running with triathlons. Yeah. Uh, I realized I was like, I don't, I don't think I want to run marathons. And so I was like, Oh, I can, I can swim a little, I can run a little, I can bike a little. Okay. That's fine. And then I got into longer races. Yeah. Um, but so when you're doing triathlon, um, you found out you're, you know, pretty good at the run. Um, what, when did this 31 marathons, 31 days, uh, start to kind of formulate in your head as something that you wanted to do? I ran the Marine Corps marathon in 2015, kind of on a, I don't want to say, well, I guess on a whim, uh, I had only been training, you know, for 5k. That was the distance that I had to run for the triathlon. So I'd only ran 5ks and I don't know. I just, was getting a little bit bored, I guess, of, uh, what I was doing in the, in that training. So I figured I just kind of wanted to run a marathon, you know, to see what, it, what it was like. Uh, and so I ran it and then I continued training for, you know, until, for the rest of the, the time until I didn't make the Paralympics. And, you know, I, I, I remembered that, that I could run a marathon. And, uh, after I had failed to, to qualify for the Paralympics, I, 
was pondering, you know, just thinking of different things I could do next. And I figured maybe uh, another big challenge like my bike ride, except maybe a little shorter this time. And, uh, you know, what, uh, what have I done before I've rode, I've, uh, you know, I've rode my bike across, uh, I've never actually, I've never done a big, you know, running challenge. And so that kind of led to, you know, what could the running challenge be? And then I, you know, I was aware of other people that had done the similar formats to 31 marathons and 31 days, you know, 50 and 50 and 50 different States or 50 Ironmans and 50 different States. Um, so, you know, I just kind of took that format that other people had already pioneered and, and applied it to my own, you know, put my own little spin on it, doing it in different cities. Uh, I figured that would get the biggest amount of, you know, the largest number of eyeballs on it as possible, doing it in 31 of the most populous cities in the country and uh, doing it for, you know, a full month because I figured that was a good, a good length of time that you know, it'll be long enough that I could get some momentum and then kind of carry that momentum for a while. Uh, but not so long that I'm out there for, you know, 50 days or whatever. And people are, you know, they kind of lose interest after a while and then, you know, they forget. So people could follow along for a full month. Yep. So what was the, um, as you kind of kicked that off, what was that like? Did you, did you train up to like a couple, you know, weeks where you ran back to back marathons? Were you, just kind of getting up to like a marathon distance a week and then you're like, okay, I'm just going to go for it. Or what was your training like up to that point? And how did you get to the point where you're like, okay, I feel, I feel quote unquote ready for, uh, you know, a month, a month, a, uh, a month of back to back to back marathons. Yeah. You pretty much nailed it, man. Um, I would do six weeks chunks of training, uh, where I had one certain stress that I was applying and then, I would do a little test. So I, in 2016, I did a, a six weeks and then I ran the Marine Corps marathon again. And then I did another six weeks and I actually attempted two marathons and screwed up the uh, post marathon fueling after day one. And I didn't actually complete the second one. Okay. Um, and then, you know, did another six weeks where I changed the training again. Basically I'm just kind of getting longer runs and, closer grouped runs, uh, mm -hmm. during the training blocks. And then, so, you know, then I bounced back from that six weeks later, did three marathons. Fine. You know, finally nailed in that, uh, these are all just tests, you know, practicing, yeah, yeah. doing back to back, you know, seeing what I need to eat, what I need, how I can pace, uh, and how I can break up the distance. And then I did five, maybe, I think I did 12 weeks and then I did five, and then after I did five, I kind of figured that was, you know, if I kept going, I might as well just do the full 31 after that. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I just kind of every six weeks, I would just, you know, change the training, get longer, get closer grouped until eventually in the last, you know, probably 12 weeks, I was running a marathon every Thursday, uh, followed by, you know, a two hour or two hour run uh, Wednesday, marathon Thursday, two hour run. Friday and then uh, a two hour run Monday as well. So, you know, just blocking that up and, you know, obviously it worked. So, <laughs> so the people that I've talked to that have run, like, I don't know, you're, you're the only one that I've known that's done that many back to backs. I've talked to a couple of people have done maybe, I think they did maybe a week of marathons back to back. Mm -hmm. um, I've done a couple back to back on weeks, but I haven't done any back to back uh, on a day. Uh, back-to-back -back days. But um, the ones I've talked to that have done it over a week say that after like the first two or three days are the hardest. Like the second day, I think it's like the third day is the hardest, but day four, your brain kind of turns off and it says, okay, I guess this is what we're doing every day. I guess part of our daily routine is running a marathon every single day. And they said it got easier actually like day four. Um, what was what was your situation like with you know running thirty one of these in thirty one days? Um, did you get used to it pretty quickly, or were you like, okay, day one, day two, oh no, this is going to get tough? And and then was there a point where you know um, was it was there a point where it got really tough, and then a point where it got easier? Um, I was running at such a sub maximal pace that it never got to a point where you know any of one of the marathons was you know, uh, maximum effort. Um, but yeah, it kind of did follow that same pattern where the first maybe four or five, 
or maybe three or four. I actually, I was getting, I got a little bit slower, a little bit slower and, you know, it was a little bit tougher, but then my body did start to adapt. And, you know, by the 10th one, I actually ran, uh, that was my fastest one was my 10th one in Chicago. And then after that, I kind of just maintained that same speed, you know, somewhere between three hours and 50 minutes and four hours and 10 minutes of, uh, of running time. And, you know, yes, yeah, actually surprised me because I was kind of expecting, I was expecting London to be my first one and my freshest one. And then after that, just kind of, they would just get slower and slower and slower. And I would just kind of try and be hold off, holding off a deterioration of my body. But, you know, <laughs> even yeah. I'm a person that's adapted to a lot of stuff. And so I know what the body's capable of. And, you know, I, even I was surprised with this. So. Uh, you know, I was happily, happily surprised. But then actually by the 31st one, uh, the wheels were starting to fall off a little bit and I was starting to get sore and sore. And I kind of just wonder whether or not that was because I decided to do 31 and I was getting close to the end. So maybe if I had decided to do 50, that 31st one wouldn't have been that bad or, you know, whatever. Yeah. The, um, what were, you mentioned like all you're, you're getting sore. And this is one of the questions I think I asked you in, uh, when uh, we met in San Diego, but what, uh, what specific areas hurt, begin to hurt the worst, um, when you're running with, uh, the bionic knee? Um, because I imagine it's, you know, they're the similar muscles you're using, but you're using them probably in a slightly different way. Um, and just what's that experience like? The, th- the stuff that hurt the most for me was just the bottoms of my, uh, residual limbs. Uh, no matter how, how much preparation and how comfortable I get my leg sockets. There's always going to be a little bit of friction in there. I would lubricate and I would do everything I could possibly do. Um, But there's always going to be some friction. So there was some skin breakdown and there was some abscess going on. Um, And so that would be painful. But, you know, usually after the first mile or so, uh, you know, it kind of go, it would kind of get numb down there. And so, uh, I don't really only have to put up with it for the first mile. And then after that, you know, my back would get a little bit sore. Uh, but that was about it. You know, uh, I, I felt pretty good. And you surprisingly. I was, I was, I, I remember being, being surprised when you, you mentioned that to me uh, with just like how, um, how you would fit into the, into the legs. Uh, because, you know, usually when you think in marathons, you're like, oh, I'm sore because, you know, uh, you know, my, my, <laughs> That sounds terrible, but I was gonna say my knees hurt or something like that. But for you, like the like actually, you know, the things that are enabling you are the things that are also sort of just uncomfortable. And I, I didn't even think about that uh, until you mentioned it. As far as something that would be, um, you know, anytime someone says bionic, you're like, oh, that's like helping you out a ton. But like it's actually actually uncomfortable, and you know, is uh, has its own set of problems that you have to deal with. Yeah, I think some some you know people maybe maybe don't realize that. I think most people probably realize that. Uh, you know, I'm putting a, a whole lot of pounding on the bottoms of my stumps, but uh, yeah, you know, I did see some Instagram comments on from some people saying that it was easy for me because my legs didn't hurt. You know, so and I could I didn't know if they're trying to be funny or if they were really that ignorant, but uh, you know, you just got to ignore that kind of thing. I I guess my question was or my my the thing I didn't realize was that there would be um that it, that there would be pounding on the on the between your knee and the the bionic limb. Um I guess I didn't realize that was um like it makes sense if you think about it, but like when you're just watching someone run, um it looks pretty fluid, so it looks like it's like oh that's pretty comfortable, but um yeah, not knowing that there is actually a little bit of uh, uh, actual pounding on, you know, from 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 the bionic knee to uh, your leg. Yeah, well, so um, your body's got to take the impact. Yeah, I know. That's why I was like, I, I, I don't know why I didn't think about that. But and it's not um, all on the bottom. Uh, you know, the sockets are set up, so it's kind of distributed over the whole stump. But, you know, it's a lot on the bottom. Yeah. So when you... Uh, as far as like through this whole thing, you're 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 in an RV and you're driving around. That was the other thing that was impressed. You guys had like a uh, like a to the minute, not to the minute, but like you guys had a pretty well scheduled out time frame as far as when you needed to leave to San Diego, when you needed to get into Arizona, what the timetable was for making sure you hit all these different spots. Um, 
you had a team helping you out and coordinating all this, right? Yeah, my wife uh, Pam was was running the show. Basically, all I did was run and uh, and do interviews and eat and sleep. So she was she was in charge. She was running the show and handling all that. My mom was there helping her and then giving me massages. And I had a driver. And you know, yeah, we had the itinerary, and you know, we had our planned planned uh, travel times and what times we had to leave, and yeah, we planned all that out ahead of time so we could just kind of run it uh, as we went. And for the most part, it worked out uh, exactly according to plan. Were there any points in the in the marathon that you thought, or in the month of marathons, that was particularly difficult for you? The last four days were pretty tough because I injured my back in Nashville, falling down on a bridge. Um, oh, and I had some kind of injury. It's fine now, but, uh, I, I don't know if I, maybe I stretched something a little bit too far or tore something. I don't know, but yeah. So for the last four marathons, like every time I stepped on my right foot, it was a uh, pretty bad pain, but you know, obviously it wasn't that bad of an injury cause I still ran four more marathons afterwards. So <laughs> yeah, it just hurt. So, but you know, how much pain I felt was less important than my mission. So, you know, I just kept going with it. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny once you go through some of these extreme things that take a lot out of you, that your pain tolerance, like your understanding of, of you know, understanding what you can do physically, but the understanding of what you can withstand too is, um, you know, is a whole lot more, especially when you have that underlying mission uh, to fuel it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So I just want to let you, I, I got about five more minutes that I can do. Yeah. Uh, no, we can wrap this up, but but yeah, um, I I totally agree with what you're saying there. It's the I mean, it's like we're coming full circle here, exactly back to where we uh, we started. You know, if if your mission's important enough, you're willing to endure anything. Cool. So, what a uh, speaking of missions and and you know your goals. What uh do you have anything uh on the docket here coming up? What's next for you? I don't have really any big events like this planned. Um, I'll probably be doing the One World Trade Center Tower Climb. Uh, I'll probably do the Tunnel to Towers 5K. Uh, you know, so just a couple, you know, smaller events like that. Um, other than that, you know, I'm just going to keep spreading my mission, you know, keep uh, keep fighting on behalf of veterans and spreading the word about you know, what I've done and, you know, how that, how that can be used for other people as inspiration or, or whatever. But, uh, yeah, that's my main mission right now. And I'll, I'll, you know, do some more pondering on whether or not that can be manifested in another physical, uh, endeavor. Cool. Cool. Uh, have you ever thought about doing any, uh, trail races or ultra races? I can't really do trail races to be honest with you. Okay. Uh, the trails are not set up for me. Uh, I have to have a wide, I have a very wide gate, so I wouldn't really be able to, I've tried and I wouldn't really be able to run on like that single track trail. I'd trip and, you know, it wouldn't, uh, wouldn't really work out very well. But, uh, you know, there's plenty of ultras that are on pavement, but yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> like, I, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure if it's something that interests me enough. You enough. do have to have that little bit of interest as well, you know. Yeah, well, if you get interested, uh, let me know. I'd be happy to talk you through some cool races out there. But yeah, um, yeah, I mean, there's a <laughs> there's there's a lot of pavement right there yeah, for exactly. you. Uh, a lot of heat too. So uh, if you don't do well there, that's going to be rough. Um, so real quick, uh, I want to get back to uh, a couple things you're doing. You said you're raising a million dollars for charities. Uh, you've raised a couple hundred thousand already. Is that I don't know the exact total that I found, but uh, it's several hundred thousand. Yeah. It seems like between my bike ride and this, uh, we're at uh, three thirty, probably three hundred thirty thousand. That's great. Um, so, where can people, if they want to find uh, you know out more about you, where can they find you on social media and your website? Social media is at Rob Jones Journey for all the good stuff, and uh, robjonesjourney.com dot com is my website. And yeah, you can donate there find out what I'm going to be doing next. Uh, everything, everything about me is going to be on there. <laughs> awesome. One more question. I like to ask everybody, uh, a lot of times we talk about, uh, our stories in the past tense, something was tough. We got over it and we're on to the next thing is there, but uh, a lot of times we don't talk about it in the, in the, in the moment. And, uh, in the moment, 
uh, I was curious if there's anything out there right now or any challenges that you're looking at that uh, either scare you or uh, uh, excitement is sort of the other side of fear. Uh, so either scare you or excite you as far as um, what's coming up next. Um. Well, I don't know what's coming up next, so I can't say that. Yeah. anything's really scaring me at this point. But, you know, if something doesn't scare you that you're about to do, then uh, maybe you should uh, reconsider whether or not it's difficult enough or pushing you far enough. There we go. That's a good place to stop. So it's been great watching you run the month of marathons, and I, I look forward to seeing what you're, up to, what you're up to next. Thanks, man. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. Awesome. If you do get uh, any new adventures, let me know and uh, we'll have you back on the pod. Okay. Roger that, man. Thanks. All right. So that's today's podcast. I hope you guys got a lot out of Rob's story. He's an inspiring dude doing some incredible things and I can't wait to see what he's up to next. If you guys would like to support the podcast, you can by going to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play and leaving a review. It is the best way for us to reach more people and to have more people find out about us. I want to give a shout out here on a regular basis to different commenters who leave reviews. C. Winters, I think that's how you say it. It's got a bunch of numbers in the name. It says, always awesome information from Joel and his guests. Serves as a much needed wake up call for people to push their limits every day. So if you want to be like C. Winters or any of the other people, that are amazing and leave five-star reviews, you can go head on over to iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. A couple other things, we're starting our cold shower therapy challenge on Monday. If you guys want more information, go ahead on over to impossiblehq.com, subscribe to the email list, and you'll get all the details there. I'm on day number four of cold showers today, and the challenge officially starts on Monday, but you can get a head start, start getting used to the cold water. It's about 10 degrees over here on the East Coast in Boston, and it is pretty chilly, so the water's not warm, that's the point. 30 days, cold showers, starts on Monday. If you want to know more, sign up at impossiblehq.com. Also, once you get out of the shower, you're going to need something to wear. So head on over to impossiblegear.com. Get the best hoodies, sweatshirts, whatever you're looking for. You probably got it. Wear your Impossible shirt. Next time you want to go do something, you think it's hard, you think it's going to be too difficult, put your shirt on, look at it in the mirror, and then go do the thing, okay? Then once you go do it, send me a photo. I'll feature you on the site. I'll feature you on the podcast. Get it done impossiblegear.com. Boom. If you want to keep up with Impossible on the day-to-day, you can follow me on Twitter at Joel Runyon and on Instagram at Joel Runyon. You can also follow Impossible at ImpossibleHQ on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. No spaces, no underlines, HQ as in headquarters. All right, guys. So that's it for the show. Cold shower therapy challenge starts on Monday. Cold showers every day in the winter because that's the way we roll. We're back on our regular schedule. So I will see you guys right here next Thursday at 8 a.m. But until then, keep pushing your limits and do something impossible.